I'm a very practical person. I'm an organizer, and I like to work on constructive, positive solutions that may or may not work. But you know, why not attempt them? All of the things I mentioned about my experiences growing up, the diversity of Barcelona, being taunted as a five-year-old, the conversation with my elementary school teacher, the incident with the girl in the cafeteria. All of it made me start to think of myself as a straight ally. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappell. Lublin Court liberates two Polish LGBT free zones. Irvisi Vad passes the torch of irresistible revolution, and life teaches allyship to a straight teen. Those stories and more this week, now that you've found this way out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm John Dyer V. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending May 21st, 2022. Two of Poland's designated LGBT-free zones won liberation this week. The Provincial Administrative Court in Lublin has overturned the homophobic resolutions passed by the Lublin Regional Assembly and a county within its jurisdiction. The Assembly had charged that the goal of LGBTQ rights advocates was to annihilate the value shaped by the Catholic Church in one of the world's most Roman Catholic countries. So in April 2019, it resolved to reject what it called homopropaganda. Ricky County followed about a month later with a resolution it said was to protect children, young people, families, and Polish schools from what it called the homo-terror being spread by left liberal groups. More than a hundred regional or municipal declarations like these have been enacted since that time. The provincial court ruled on May 9th that both the Lublin Regional Assembly and the Ricky County declarations were adopted without legal basis and in gross violation of the law. The court did not mince words. It said that both governments had created an intimidating, hostile, and offensive atmosphere for LGBTQ people by portraying them as a threat to government and an evil that must be fought. Pink News now counts nine LGBT-free zone declarations to be voided by Polish courts. Other jurisdictions have voluntarily dumped their declarations to avoid losing badly needed funds from their queer-supportive European Union benefactors. Lawmakers in Lithuania have proposed a so-called compromise civil unions law for lesbian and gay couples, following last year's failed effort to provide them with many more benefits. Sponsors insist it's the only version that has a chance of passing in the country's unicameral legislature, the Samus. The draft unromantically defines a civil union as a voluntary agreement between two persons registered following the procedure laid down by legislation by which they seek to establish, develop, and protect their relationship. Civil union agreements would be certified by a notary rather than at a civil registry office like heterosexual marriages. Agreements would lay out property rights and mutual obligations and establish what happens if the union is dissolved. The proposal also offers mutual hospital visitation rights and health care decisions, and each partner gets the right to legally act on the other's behalf. Adoption, recognition of paternity, and parental authority are not included, and the measure does not allow shared surnames. 
The compromise bill is still too much for opponents who warn that it will undermine traditional family values or even provoke neighboring Russia as anti-LGBTQ Putin continues his invasion of Ukraine. Other lawmakers are disappointed that such a watered-down set of rights was the best they could do to grant queer couples in Lithuania at least minimal legal recognition. They'll still vote for it. As one said, such a solution is better than no solution. Tennessee's bathroom warning signs have been rejected by a U.S. district court. The law now permanently blocked by an injunction required businesses with one or more unisex bathrooms to post signs informing customers that it allowed the use of restrooms by either biological sex regardless of the designation on the restroom. Violators could be criminally prosecuted. On May 17th, U.S. District Judge Alita A. Trauger upheld a July 2021 preliminary injunction based on First Amendment free speech rights. Trauger called the measure a brazen attempt to single out trans-inclusive establishments and force them to parrot a message that they reasonably believe would sow fear and misunderstanding about the very transgender Tennesseans whom those establishments are trying to provide with some semblance of a safe and welcoming environment. Republican Governor Bill Lee signed the bill last year after it sailed through the Republican-dominated state legislature. Earlier this month, Lee signed a bill to ban trans women from competing in school sports based on their gender identity at the collegiate level. Trans females were already banned from participation in middle and high school sports. Alabama's law against gender-affirming care for transgender kids has been partially blocked by a federal judge. The law makes it a felony offense for healthcare professionals to treat trans youth under 19 even with parental approval. It punishes offenders with up to 10 years in prison and a fine of up to $15,000. Trump-appointed U.S. District Court Judge Lyles Burke issued a preliminary injunction on May 13th. He found what he called a substantial likelihood that provisions of the Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act that deny medically approved puberty blockers or hormone therapies are unconstitutional. Burke barred officials from enforcing that portion of the act pending trial. That good news was tempered by Burke's decision to keep other provisions of the law in force. He'll allow school officials to out transgender students to their parents and forbids those officials from encouraging or ordering children not to come out to their parents. The provision against gender-affirming surgeries on minors also stands, but that is not standard practice anyway. Alabama's Republican Governor Kay Ivey signed the gender-affirming care ban into law in April. She called the injunction a temporary legal roadblock. The U.S. Justice Department has joined a number of queer legal advocacy groups, health care providers, and families challenging the entire law as unconstitutional. The Australian state of Victoria broke its own Ida Hobbit record on May 17th. Ida Hobbit is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism, and Transphobia, and in recognition of the event, 68 of Victoria's 79 local councils flew the rainbow pride flag. It's an annual tradition in some places, but it's a first for others and a particularly difficult birth for the West Wimmershire Council. If that rings a bell, a few weeks ago the council rejected a motion to fly the flag and Mayor Bruce Meyer made comments equating LGBTQ advocacy with support for pedophilia. Global scorn and condemnation followed. However, council members reversed themselves just in the nick of time. 
At a special meeting on May 9th, they cleared the way for the Rainbow Pride flag to fly above the various rural regional council district buildings. Patrick Quain of the Wimmera Pride Project told The Guardian Australia, It has been incredible to see the allies in the West Wimmera Shire and their LGBTIQ community rally together to show the country Bruce's comments do not reflect their community. Quain added that the process had been exhausting and asked, Can't we all just show each other a bit of respect? The United Kingdom has its first out-and-proud professional football player since 1990. Thankfully, the environment is more welcoming for Blackpool forward Jake Daniels than it was for his predecessor, the late Justin Fashanu. Daniels told his story this week to Sky Sports because he said, I am ready to be myself, be free, and be confident with it all. He's had the proverbial long and winding road, knowing he was different by the age of four or five, but believing that he could never realize his dream of becoming a professional footballer if he was gay. Coming out now at the age of 17, Daniel says he hopes to be a role model for others who may want to follow suit. In a statement posted to the team website, Daniels wrote, I just want to tell them that you don't have to change who you are or how you should be just to fit in. You being you and being happy is what matters most. When footballer Justin Fashanu came out 30 years ago, the homophobic response drove him to an early retirement and eventual suicide. Today, Daniels enjoys the support of the team and his family. One of the first to congratulate him on social media was Australian footballer Josh Cavallo. The Adelaide United player became the first out player down under last year. Jake Daniels signed with Blackpool in February and made his professional debut earlier this month. Finally. Britain's Royal Mint has issued the first coin of the realm to celebrate LGBTQ people, a 50 pence coin just in time for the 50th anniversary of London's first Pride March. Pride organizers partnered with the Mint to make the announcement this week. The coin has the usual portrait of the Queen on one side. The other is emblazoned with all the colors of the rainbow flag, plus black and brown stripes representing people of color, and pink, light blue, and white for transgender pride. It's engraved with the Pride in London slogan, Protest, Visibility, Unity, and Equality. The colorful coin is only commemorative and won't be in actual circulation, but it will be available for purchase in the next few weeks. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending May 21st, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones. Stay healthy. And I'm John Dyer V. Stay safe. In breaking news from Australia, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has fallen to the Labour Party's Anthony Albanese in national elections. Morrison's anti-LGBTQ plus record includes his failed religious discrimination bill and his recent backing of a proposed ban on trans women in school sports. Albanese has already promised to make lesbian Labour Senate leader Penny Wong Australia's new foreign minister. 
Queer activists are calling Albanese's victory a clear rejection of the politics of division. The idea of being an ally isn't difficult to understand. You just have to support people's right to be themselves. A teenager becomes an ally by walking in someone else's shoes. But first, no one will ever fill the shoes of Irvishivad. The list of organizations she led and initiatives she spearheaded is too long for a half-hour show. From co-founding the National LGBTQ Task Force's Creating Change Conference to her philanthropic work with the Arcus and Ford Foundations, VAD was an irresistible force until her death last week at the age of 63. Irresistible revolution, confronting race, class, and the assumptions of LGBT politics, was the title of her 2012 book, and it could not be more relevant a decade later. This Way Out aired an interview with VAD about the book that came from Chris Thomas of WBAI New York's Out FM show. One of the things that I really like about your book is how you critique the idea that formal legal equality does not achieve a more just and egalitarian society. It only creates the opportunity for people to start to fight for that more just and egalitarian society. Yes. Right? So it's, it's a prerequisite, but it's not the end point. I think it's important to remember that the argument being made isn't that we shouldn't fight for formal legal equality. Right. The argument being made is that the formal legal equality is a critical step towards justice, but it isn't the same as justice. And part of that is that the nature of the kind of cultural and attitudinal discrimination that LGBT people face. But formal legal equality doesn't, for example, change the structure of the economic system. It doesn't change how the state is policing or administering justice. So those biases have to be addressed as well. So that's one of the problems with formal legal equality being seen as the end point. It's not the same as justice. A second concern is that I think that when you only focus on equal rights, you forget that different people have different kinds of access to those rights because of their economic status, their geographic location, <laughs> their gender identity or expression. So assuming that we have won and that the we includes all parts of our community is a little bit too optimistic. It's too naive. In different talks, I've been trying to push myself to think about, okay, you're making this critique, so what are the answers? And what could be done differently? And um, one of the things that, that's problematic is that you have lots of groups that feel always that they're not able to help set the agenda at the national level, that national organizations like the task force or the human rights campaign or the two political organizations operate in ways that don't listen to the grassroots. So I was thinking, okay, how do you restructure things so that the member of these organizations isn't viewed as the donor? Because that's really what's happened. The idea of membership in nonprofit organizations has moved from the idea of like a voting member or a convention where members go and elect a slate of candidates for the board or they actually have a say in a platform that that gets followed for the next year. That's not how membership in LGBT organizations works. It's really about giving. And uh, whether you give $10 or $10,000, you get different perks and different levels of attention from the organization. But that's what they mean by member. 
You don't get to vote for a board. You don't get to vote on a platform of action in Congress. You don't get to hear a critical reflection of what worked, what didn't work in our strategy last year, and therefore we're going to change it this way. So why not do away with the pretense of these individual membership structures and try to go to an organizational membership structure where you actually have almost like a federation model? So would it work differently if you had groups the community centers or whatever who are sitting around a table annually setting a legislative agenda. What would that legislative agenda look like? Would it look exactly like it does today? Would marriage be the priority for everybody? Maybe, but I would bet that five other issues that we're not even talking about in this radio interview would also be a priority on the table. Now, having said that, a big part of my book also reminds us The LGBT basic rights agenda has not been won. We're still in a country where there's large parts that have absolutely no statewide protection, not just on marriage, but like non-discrimination and employment, issues around schools and safety in schools, recognition of different forms of family through adoption or parenting options are denied. LGBT people. And we certainly don't have protection at the federal level against discrimination. So the basic rights agenda of the gay movement hasn't been won. And even if and when the courts confirm marriage equality, which I think they will, because under the Constitution they must, we're still going to have that unfulfilled basic rights agenda. I'm a very practical person. I'm an organizer. And I like to work on constructive, positive solutions that may or may not work. But, you know, why not attempt them? Urvishi Vad is survived by her niece, activist and performance artist Alak Vad Menon, and by her longtime partner, feminist humorist Kate Clinton. Thank you, Urvishi. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true, you're a pal and a confidant I'm not ashamed to say I hope it always will stay this way My hat is off, won't you stand up and take a bow Tomas was called gay when he was five Now he's a straight ally, sharing his story in this month's Outcasting Overtime this is Outcasting Overtime, from Media for the Public Good, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Tomas, an Outcasting Youth participant. I grew up in Barcelona, a pretty diverse city where I saw many different kinds of people. Families come from different countries to live there. They had different religions. Some had lived through struggles of one kind or another. There was such a varied culture, I didn't notice anything specifically LGBTQ, just a lot of people who were different from me. It made me curious and aware and open to learn about all these different people from different places and even passionate about it, possibly more than if I'd grown up here in the U.S. When I was little, I was more feminine than most boys, maybe more in tune with what other people were feeling. I loved hanging out with girls as friends and I tended to like things that didn't line up with what you traditionally think of as boy stuff. So I didn't play with cars and I had no interest in sports. Some people around me started calling me gay and question my sexuality. It began when I was about five years old. At first, I didn't know what gay meant, but I knew it was meant to be insulting. I eventually figured out it had something to do with who I liked. 
I didn't understand why these people would be so bothered about something like that. It confused me because I was just a little kid who barely understood human attraction. But in third or fourth grade, I had a teacher I really trusted, and I talked to her. I told her that a few people were calling me gay and insulting me, and I didn't really know what it meant. Was something wrong with me? She was super kind. She explained that it wasn't anything bad at all, that gay simply meant that some people were attracted to the same gender, and that not only guys and girls can date. She said I shouldn't change anything about myself. As I got into middle school and started to understand myself more, I realized that I'm not gay, but also that being gay was not a bad thing at all. It was just a normal thing, and I started to imagine what it must be like to actually be gay and be insulted for it, and I didn't want that to happen to anyone, certainly not another five-year-old who could feel that who he is is a bad thing. One day when I was in high school, I was having lunch with a group of classmates. There was a girl at another table sitting alone. I don't think she had many friends, at least not in school. Some classmates started taunting her and even asked her what her favorite sexual position was. This was clearly an attack against her sexuality because they all knew she was a lesbian. If she had been straight, I'm certain that she wouldn't have endured this cruel behavior. It was a nasty thing for them to do and they made me furious. I told them, this is terrible. How careless can you be? What makes you guys think this is okay to ask? After that, they stopped, and they left the cafeteria. I went over to the girl and offered my support. I told her that all those bullies who were attacking her will never be as brave as she is, and I made sure she knew that she could count on me anytime she needed someone to talk to. I could see her eyes light up, and she said, thank you, with such a powerful tone. I could tell she needed to hear that. We became friends after that day, and are still very close friends. All of the things I mentioned about my experiences growing up, the diversity of Barcelona, being taunted as a five-year-old, the conversation with my elementary school teacher, the incident with the girl in the cafeteria, all of it made me start to think of myself as a straight ally. So instead of thinking of gay as an insult, I flipped it. Gay people might be among the bravest people. They know that being gay and being open about it can be dangerous and scary, but they do it anyway. And I want to be one of the people who makes them feel supported. My parents taught me from a young age to choose kindness and treat people the way I want to be treated. That stuck with me, and I've always tried to live that way. The idea of being an ally isn't difficult to understand. You just have to support people's right to be themselves. You respect their pronouns, you don't tear them down because of who they are, you help raise awareness, and sometimes you can educate people. For me, that sometimes means being confrontational when I see people teasing or abusing or bullying someone who's gay. I know how lucky, how privileged I am not to be torn down for who I am. That privilege enables me to fight back when I see people being homophobic or mean. If someone called me gay today, I'd say, why is that relevant? Why are you using it as an insult? Something I do take a lot of pride in is that no matter how many times my sexuality was questioned, I always remained true to myself and didn't try to modify the way I present myself to other people. I never tried to act more stereotypically like a boy. I still had girls as friends, pursued hobbies I actually liked, and always kept my open and empathetic personality. But I wonder, if I were actually gay, would I be so willing to be confrontational? Maybe not. I think I'd be more scared for my safety. I might not have stood up for the girl in the lunchroom. I can even imagine that at some points in my life, 
I might have even tried to change things about how other people see me in order to have friends and not be bullied. A friend here at Outcasting has a family friend connection to a gay 14-year-old boy who killed himself last summer by jumping off a New York City landmark. How do you even process news like that? When my Outcasting friend told me about it, I felt chilled everywhere and furious about a society that could drive a 14-year-old boy to kill himself. It was especially terrible to hear about it directly from someone I know. I wish I could have talked with that boy and let him know that he was okay and supported and loved. Who knows whether it could have stopped him from jumping off if someone had just talked with him like that. Maybe that's all he needed. But now it's too late and we'll never know. There are plenty of resources for people who want to know how to be a straight ally. In my school, you see flyers and posters telling you how. Don't sexualize LGBTQ people. Stand up for them. Don't make offensive jokes. Anyone can find websites with this information. But sometimes, you can feel lost and not know what to do. And not all straight can be confrontational about it. Let's say you're in a school sports team and some of your teammates make comments like, that's so gay, as a joke and an insult. You want to call them out for being homophobic, but it would feel awkward or even uncomfortable. Maybe you've built a bond with these teammates, and your friendship with them could be damaged if you say anything. So maybe when your teammates taunt someone like that, you don't react right away. Maybe you want to try to find a good time to have a conversation with your teammates about how their casual insults can affect LGBTQ people. But the right time never presents itself. Does this hesitancy make you less of an ally and more of a bystander? There's no easy answer to that question. It's a good thing to confront prejudice as long as it doesn't make you unsafe. We can't always live up to that ideal, but we should try because prejudice thrives when it's not confronted. But I feel lucky to live in a time when things are changing. For a lot of people in my generation, probably a lot more than in earlier generations, we see firsthand that being LGBTQ is just what people are in exactly the same way that straight people are straight. It isn't a choice, it's not bad, it's not good, it's just who you are. That means that being anti-LGBTQ is bigotry and nothing more. And homophobic bigotry is dying off. Most Americans support LGBTQ equality. We see culture wars being fought by an aging and shrinking number of people who are panicking about having lost their anti-LGBTQ grip on society. They don't seem to believe in equality, one of the central ideals of the United States. My generation knows that LGBTQ people just exist. They've always just existed. It's inhuman to try to make them deny who they are in their everyday lives. Even if we're not LGBTQ ourselves, people of my generation have LGBTQ friends who are refusing to live in the closet. And we can see with our own eyes that when LGBTQ people refuse to live a lie, it doesn't actually hurt anyone at all. Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime. From Outcasting Media, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Outcasting Media is a production of Media for the Public Good, based in New York. This piece was created by Outcaster Tim and me, Tomas. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about Outcasting, watch Outcasting videos, access our social media links, and listen to Outcasting and related content. You can also find Outcasting wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and thanks for listening.
Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Wenzel Jones and John Dyer V, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Chris Thomas. Andrew Gold performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors David Hunt and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on 4BI, Fortitude Valley, Queensland, WRIR, Richmond, Virginia, KUR Kurtztown, Pennsylvania, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.